Hey, greetings and welcome. It's Tuesday, time for Macro to Micro Power Hour. I'm Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com, and I'm very excited to be joined by Jonathan Gibbons of VigTech.io, where I also host my risk indicators, and we have partnered in crime on this particular series on Tuesdays to talk about market structure and then a thematic macro, you know, subject that's near and dear to our hearts or is very timely and right now it happens to be inflation. So last Tuesday, Jonathan actually stoked the fires of inflation even more by saying the word hyperinflation, we could be in it. And I thought to myself, nah, and then I thought to myself, maybe. So we're gonna, we're gonna dig into that and let's do this housekeeping real quick and then I will bring him in. Uh, first and foremost, if you are on my website, you'll see a guest captain interview series where I post my um, interviews, again, Tuesdays with Jonathan, religiously, and then Thursday I have a guest speaker. In particular, um, I also share a, a, a series called Women in Finance and Trading. That is going to be this Thursday, and I'm very excited. I have uh, uh, Katie Stockton, who is a, an institutional uh, technical analyst of uh great credibility and I'm excited to talk with her about her travels in this on the institutional realm as a technical analyst and uh, you can sign up on my website this is also when it's done um, will be housed on my YouTube channel which is going to be Leduc trading YouTube channel pretty simple and then down below you're gonna see where there's macro to micro power outer hour. Uh, last Thursday I had um, Jem Karsten who uh, you probably know who if you're on FinTwit anyway. Um, market timing calls, he's a quant and uh, that was very insightful. Also got his views on inflation. But I will be posting this, this webinar to my YouTube channel. I will also, this will also be on uh, Spotify and Apple as a podcast and Audible. So just look for um, or search by Samantha LaDuke or LaDuke Trading um, or your favorite guest that I'm featuring here and then you'll be able to get that podcast while you're out and about. Um, so again, this is a theme that is, <laughs> my marketing director has a good sense of humor. Um, it's 1970s-style hyperinflation, maybe, and we're going to talk about that. We've gotten already a lot of pushback that uh, maybe stagflation, not hyperinflation. But I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to dig into this. And Michael Burry, by the way, warns of it also from the Big Short fame. So, without further ado, Jonathan Gibbons, you are in the house. So let me do a little intro to promote you to panelist, and you should be there. Yay, he is. I'm here. You you're there. All right. So you're the one that kind of um, triggered this topic of hyperinflation. You said something kind of uh, insightful last week. Well, you always say insightful stuff, but I mean, you were basically posing the potentiality that we might be in um, a bit of a hyperinflationary backdrop, and I want you to explain yourself. And then I dug up some research to kind of uh, chart in particular that I had all, that I had retweeted that did give some parallels to a, a 1970s um, hyperinflation type of uh, start. So, what made you think of that? Um, predominantly, the 
the thought that was running through my mind last week and then really had been running through my mind for a couple of weeks was you see uh, massive changes in, in prices, right, for, for goods um, that off the naked eye are really abnormal. Um, and so there's a couple of, you know, a couple of you know, justifications for that. Um, you know, commodities have been in a down, downtrend for, you know, multi-decades. Um, supply, demand, you know, just some very technical, normal uh, responses to that. But to me, um, it seems like something that's more uh, sensible that's getting discounted a lot is that, um, you know, we didn't have the fallout that we expected to have from the policymakers as relates to COVID-19. It was a shorter duration pain trade that was over-responsed, as Ken Griffin would say, um, through the fiscal and um, monetary stimulus function. And we've had, I think it was nine trillion, eight to nine trillion added in between Bush and Obama eras, something to that effect. And then we did upwards of 11 to 12 in 12 months. And a lot of that went directly into fiscal, into the hands of individuals. It went into the PPP that was and is going to go down as one of the greatest heists in the history of America, where people literally put it in their pocket and never close their businesses, um, especially businesses with size. So anybody in the one to $2 million range right under the threshold. Um, a lot of Not to speak of even a long list of hedge funds that took PPP or some multiple, very, multiple. very famous celebrities, but we're not getting into that. Multiple, <laughs> yeah. Multiple mm -hmm. rounds. And so that's direct. That's not that's not through a monetization mechanism, through bond buying and the simulation of mortgage-backed securities. That's direct fiscal money from treasury to people to spend on goods. And that is not stagflation. That is something that has not been experienced before at this size at this velocity or in this time frame, this shrunken of a time frame, And you're beginning to see it manifest in very, very rapid, strange ways. And we've joked it through with crypto stuff or NFTs or a lot of this stuff um, where it's like, this is a trend or a fad, or it's like the 70s, or it's like the, you know, the 90s, 99 period, it's like the tech bubble. There's a lot of similarities and different pieces of this to those eras for sure. But this feels different in the sense that um, you've got help wanted signs on almost every business. And many of these businesses were given fiscal stimulus direct and they can't hire because the people aren't gonna come back to work because it's not in their incentive to come back to work. I jokingly tweeted last week yeah. that it wouldn't surprise me if they give stimulus now to out just for people to take jobs. But they are also, even today or yesterday, the White House said, if, if you're on unemployment and offered a job, your unemployment, you know, we're, we're gonna talk about ending that. And I've yeah. seen that, you know, yeah. anecdotally, Home Depot, the same thing, come back to work or else we're gonna let unemployment know that you refused a job, that kind of thing. Yeah. They're trying, they're trying. Yeah, I, I, but the problem is 
that the and, and, and I can understand those quality response mechanisms and it makes sense. But the problem is, is that it's too big, right? And it's gotten so big that now you've got kind of an interesting conundrum because the Fed and, and the policymakers have inflation and they can't control inflation because of the pension system and the raising of rates. I think that I saw yesterday if the 4.25% real is something of marker. You you posted it. Right? I right. did. Okay. Yes. And so and so yeah. there is an incinerator moment where real estate and all the leveraged vehicles are become not a pain trade but like have some systemic risk because of the way that the interest rates have been so long, you know, so low for so long that the the, the environment can't sustain or support those type of rates the rate raise. So you look at like a Volcker move in like the late 70s, early 80s, where he was like, I'll fix this, watch this. And, you know, rates just went through the ceiling. They killed inflation. And then it beget the entire super cycle that we've been experiencing since yeah. then. 40 years. This is not that because you're talking about $11 trillion in the ecosystem that went in not i mean that's not this is not that and you don't what are you going to do with people that are you know it if you do see if you do have deflation and you still have high inflation you know stagflation there's a there's some discussion around that conversation how's that shake you know where things where assets which are holding the whole system together now all this asset growth right everybody's just you know, completely happy with the situation. I mean, you could see it in the market structure where, you know, these things like yeah, they move quick because everybody's kind of nervous to an extent. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be the one in the musical chairs if this thing starts to unfold. And you got Matt, you got selling. So I think that the scales have been so tipped with this situation and the size of this thing is so great as to the size of the problem that the policy response is just a little bit less clear. And I don't know that it's digestive, um, you know, that it's gonna be so simple to just digest. And it's, and it's interesting because Griffin had said something about this about two months ago. And I go back to that Financial Times uh, uh, interview that he did a couple times in the last few weeks in the sense that market participants are not discounting what runaway inflation could potentially have these ramifications for. So like, what are the- Bond smell it. <laughs> right? What are the impacts that that would have? And are, is everyone prepared for those impacts? And like, are they, you know, accounting for and discounting for those impacts? And I, and I gotta say, no. I think that um, people believe that the, the default response mechanism is that, oh, they'll just print more, mm -hmm. right? And that's fiscal. That's a fiscal statement. They'll print more, give more, because they just did that in such excess. It's hard to really wrap your head around. I mean, if a business wasn't out of business and never stopped and took PPP and the business turned in the PPP payroll reports to verify that the PPP was for given to the people, then what happened to the money that came in? They got to keep it. 
And in some cases, okay. they are talking about if you didn't choose it, we're going to audit and get it back. How are they going to get it back? <laughs> yeah, how are they going to get it back and how are they going to audit? Because they can't even get to the audits they're doing now. And to do that, and so you think about the, the work that was done in a short period of time right there, like that's going to take a decade to sort through. So that impact is already in the system. So that's, that's fiscal. Then you're talking about monetary, which is a totally different lever right and so when you really look at these these this situation to me i think that it's much of an unknown unknown it's much more dunning kruger that end of the spectrum than it is kind of a blueprint of what we've seen and it's more hyper as burry said and, and you know burry got canceled he said hyperinflation and they canceled it. You're talking about Michael Burry of the, yeah, of the picture of fame. They canceled yeah. his, his Twitter account. He, he mm -hmm. mentioned hyperinflation because he's got a large audience, right? Yeah. He's a quarter of and he's, I think his audience reached three or four million people and they just removed him. And, and I think it's unknown unknown because you don't really know the knock-on effects of that and you don't know the response from the constituents as their assets potentially get lit and the expense of things doesn't change. So let's say that the commodities and all the, the goods, you saw the gas and all this stuff's getting out of hand where they don't have it at the pumps, all that, all of a sudden things like that. And what is the response? Are you just going to give people money like they did fiscally again? That's a mis misconception because if they do that, that's in further inflationary. It also right? doesn't get their gas in the tank should it come to that. Correct. And then and then you're going to what are you going to do with the Fed? The Fed's an interest rate manipulation mechanism. It's not it's for mortgage backed securities. It's for the reserve ratios of the banks. It's a mechanism for confidence and infrastructure support. It's not a mechanism that as Powell has said 150 times in every one of his his Fed, you know, um, uh, commentary after the after they do the the announcement, he's like, we're not a fiscal entity. And that's what he's mean. That's what he means when he says it. Like they don't give money to people. The well, treasury gives money to people. And so they don't have the ability to do anything except suppress interest rates and try to get lending cooking and then deal with the bank's reserve ratio so that the banks are collateralized. Well, so, banks on the overnight repo would disagree, but yeah, <laughs> well, they rely you know, a whole they, bunch on that. They, 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 it's, I wanna, you get what I'm saying. Like you get the you get the you get the big picture in the sense that I believe that this is a lot more unknown, unknown, a lot more harder to throw a, a dart at per se because you don't know per exactly the reaction like mechanism here like i i think that when i watch gold and silver the last week and a half and well before we go to gold and silver hold on let me let me go up to michael burry because the the, the, okay. the tweet storm that he actually made and was taken down is um one prompt if you will for this conversation of 1970s style inflation and of course there are many many who say not a possibility we have stagflation potentially um, I, I keep Fair presenting, enough. you know, the inflationary definition of too much money chasing too few goods. But let me just go over real quick kind of what Michael, you know, to set the stage. Um, his tweet that was taken down, history is not useless. This text explores the 1970s American inflation, which is more relevant today than one might think. And when you were referencing all the, the stimulus that is U.S. based, right? You know, three went to six, went to nine, you know, we're 11, we're up there, right? Yeah. That's nothing compared to global stimulus. So oh, I didn't central banks. That. I know. Yeah, I so then he, 
He draws parallels uh, between the market mania in Germany before inflation took off and the Reddit-fueled buying of meme stocks this year that led Robinhood to temporarily halt purchases, right? And he was, of course, um, not behind, but involved in the GameStop uh, bull run. Right, um, right. But he says, before the German hyperinflation in the 20s, everyone from the elevator operator up was playing the market and volumes became such that the financial industry could not keep up with the paperwork and the bourse was obliged to close. And he says, sound familiar? Robin Hood down. So when he started talking about the massive bubble and he also said Tesla and Bitcoin, he's been, you know, short since December. Um, and they trade very much, uh, st they're strongly correlated, like 0.96. I forget what they are, but it, it's it's not near 1-1, one, one, but it's pretty darn close. So that was what prompted, um, you know, some to kind of look again at that hyperinflation theme. And there was a chart that I actually uh, um, grabbed and put up also for clients because I thought it was really instructive. And I kind of want to share it here, which was, hotly debated but this is a little bit of support for his claim now no he didn't put this chart up there i went and saw this elsewhere but let me just share this screen just to give reference and we're not talking cpi necessarily um but let me explain so during this is a commodities right run that we're having right now which is hot fire flames and everybody you know knows it mm -hmm. um so Right here, commodities nearing strongest reaction on record to global growth. You can hopefully see that. So back in the 70s, you know, we had inflation. It stayed between 5 and 6% at the start of the 70s and dipped below about 3% in 72. Um, but it went right up to double digits by 1974. And then you talked about, you know, the, 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 the Fed reaction um, to try and tamp that down. It's and then you you just started talking about gold, which is very different because back then, you know Nixon under his policy mm -hmm. was basically untying the dollar from gold, so that became a shock, and it Bretton Woods was broken up, you know that that really fueled the inflation of the seventies. Oil was like under two bucks, right? So it had a lot of, of, of runway. We have a very different backdrop now. We just, as you said, tons and tons of, of printing. Um, we also were just, you know, uh, fixed rate of exchange, then went free. And <laughs> we had uh, a lot more, if you will, of kind of world currencies competing. And now uh, today, Druckenmiller actually was on CNBC saying he would not be surprised if the U.S. loses its world reserve currency status in the next 15 years. Lots to digest on that. I, 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 think, I think that uh, the speed with which we move is one of the things that I was referring to with hyperinflation last week. If you look at, like, real estate, for example, and a lot of folks uh, were, you know, implying that it was a, it was a, it was a more of a supply and demand function than mm -hmm. it was a monetary function. Um, I would agree with that to an extent, but now because of the commodities price increases, the building has slowed scorched like almost to a screeching halt, and to remodel or to build is so you know costly and unknown that they're not, you know, builders are taking less risk to try and construct. Therefore, supply decreases further. So it's like a chicken and the egg thing, which mm -hmm. is worse. Is it, is it the fact that, 
you know, there is genuinely more demand than there was before, maybe a little bit last year because of COVID. But now we're in a situation where there's just simply no supply. And now prices are continually chasing higher and higher and higher. And I could, you know, speaking just from what I understand, Florida, Texas, California, predominantly where I work with and talk to people on a regular basis, we're talking about like bidding, uh, uh, price, price bidding on property, not, not price purchasing, mm-hmm. where real estate agents would be like, bring another 100 to 200 in cash for a $800,000 house to, that is priced at 800, that was 400, that now is purchased for a million, 200,000 over the bid with cash as an incentive to sell. That's happening so fast that literally people are throwing a sign in the yard to sell anything that's not glued down. It's, it's, it's not a natural growth pattern. This is, in, this is out of control. It's so out of control that it's, the, have you seen the, uh, you guys that you had, uh, Michael Leibowitz, his partner, yes. Lance mm-hmm. Roberts. So the image next to his, his office where all the used cars were simply gone. And I can attest to that being a fact too, where I know people who've been offered more for their three car that they bought three years ago than they paid for it. They're so front there's, running. There's, right, there's, and, no, there's no image. So you have all the shortages from the supply and everything else. So And the market does the same. A, Not only do the, do the consumers front run the panic about inflation, which, by the way, is Google is like at all time highs, the word inflation, but also the market. We've got CPI tomorrow and PPI on Tuesday. And these have already like since Friday and the disappointment of the jobs report, which was a historic disappointment. No one expected it to this point. It did. They're front running with this sell-off in tech, this inflation burst still. To, to me, it's it's the policy response. I, 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 when I listened to the to the Financial Times, I think it was no, it was the, the it was not the interview with Griffin. It was the one that he did, and I, I suggest everyone find it. He's not done a lot of like live interviews. It was it was like the uh, it was the interview with um, Clifford Asnes. And um, they, they did it. The, it was in the last three to five months. I was going to say it was and, beginning and it was, of the year. And it yep. was, so they were talking about the policy response structure and how it just simply overcooked it. And so now you're dealing with a lot of these things that, you, you know, a lot of the liquidity in the system is going to cause things that you can't really wrap your head around and also limits the policy response that the historical policy response would just naturally throw forward. And so uh, they don't normally measure CPI the way we would all measure CPI. They discount a whole bunch of different things in there, but the things that they actually are measuring are out of control too. And so when you look at what they do measure and they're gonna get big readings on this stuff, then what's the response? How are they going to quell the inflation in the commodities, right? How are they going to deal with this? Like Bitcoin, it's yeah, because separate of like gold and silver as a monetary kind of con- construction as it relates to tier one banking. And we've talked about that many times. Bitcoin is a is a commodity that's not tied to the banking system. And that's the total play of it. Gold, silver are tied to the banking system, tier one collateral gold in the banking system. And so 
the banks have a situation where they're looking at this going, okay, how's this going to shake out? What is the Fed's response to curbing inflation? They say they have tools. They were talking about it in that interview. What tools do they have with rampant inflation when you can't raise rates? Or speculation, because the when you can't raise rates, because not only are consumers worried about it and obviously bidding up used cars and houses because of inventory so low, et cetera, um, and money sloshing about, but also um, institutions are buying up these commodities as hedges because they're concerned that we have a regime change, a macro regime change, which is not just a cyclical inflationary burst because of all this money that's been printed, but it's a secular change. And there's a huge debate about that, right? But bonds are really pretty clear. <laughs> they smell it. Yeah. And now we have tech finally. I mean, yes, there are the poster children that, that, like ARC that are down 40% from the high in December, but this rotation, if you will, uh, into reflation that started last year now has big banks and you know analysts and talking heads all saying, yep, 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 it's cyclical, it's confirmed, we're going higher, um, which of course is when it gets tested. <laughs> but it doesn't mean it's any less, it doesn't have any less merit for a continuation of, of higher inflation. Yeah, the, Dow, just... the Dow was rejected completely at 35,000 so, you know, so far. Which today was, was a big deal. I know deal. you you saw the selling last week. You saw the structure already starting underneath the surface. And in all honesty, today I looked at this and I went, you know what? That not only the gap down because we talked about the SPX trigger of twenty of forty one seventy, and then it bounced at forty one thirty three, and then it gave gave sway. But the bigger issue is I went back um, when I opened up my trading room and I said, you know what? This is the biggest gap down that we've had in the spy since June of twenty twenty. Correct. And it was supported beautifully by certain, you know, um, moving averages. And it was still early in the reflation theme, right? And they were still throwing, you know, the kitchen sink, every, all kinds of money was still coming in and supportive. But the interesting thing was, um, we're, we're not even close to that mean right now. So we've got another, you know, few hundred points to fall before we actually get some solid support. So I'm kind of curious, this was the biggest gap down that we've had since June of last year, not a lot talking about that but it was no yeah i think i think it's total and bonds were red total complacency um across the board right but the, the, you know when you look at i mentioned yesterday i put out a couple of tweets where i said iwm was at a very you know russell was at a very kind of precarious spot where it needed to go up and through the market node of volume and start you know going towards newer highs and then higher highs or if it failed here, it was very, very, it could be very, very substantial because it's been here for four months. And most of the, the action inside, most of these large kind of Momo names that are inside IWM have been very, very like fall off in the last two weeks. Since we talked about it two weeks ago, they have just all, they were all looking rough. But energy is still bid. And I do, I don't mean just mean the price action of the past few days kind of, you know, sideways. I'm talking about, the transition again of those who are buying energy, oiling and, and gas plays, um, not only on the news of this, you know, the biggest oil pipeline having its cyber attack, which is very worrisome, um, but also just the fact that it's a it's a hedge on inflation, and they're still coming in to accumulate. I'm not talking about open interest in oil physical 
crude, which by the way, I still contend if it gets above 68, we're going much higher. Oh, significant. <laughs> but I'm yeah. talking about oil and gas assets as Exxon, a- Exxon, Exxon was the uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of the top 15, you know, uh, unusual call activity. Aggregate buying or selling in your buying. options matrix. Yeah, I still buying. see this solid, okay. solid, yeah. Can you turn up your vo your volume a little bit? Oh, sure, let me see. It's probably gonna now shriek higher to try Is that. that. Nope, try it again. Better? Nope. Worse? Keep going. How about now? No change. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'll just, that, that's, that's a little how about, how about now? Oh my God, that. All right, there you now go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring this down because otherwise you're gonna deafen me. <laughs> Magic, okay. Oh, magic. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, so let's talk about oil because the shock back in 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 seventy nine was a totally different animal, right? We had oh gosh, decrease in Iranian oil output. We had the Iranian revolution. We had Carter. We had twin. We had embargoes. We had Arab. Oh gosh, very very different. And yet, um, I can't help but you know look at the the risk right now that we have of this oil pipeline. Um, is it a, is it is it just um, you know, a tradable short, like a lot of these drone attacks have been in the past two years, or do we have a um, a bunch of folks that are gonna start to see disrupted supplies? They're already at gas stations going, they're all out, um, but it hasn't caught on. It certainly hasn't made it in the news yet. So if we have one week of that though, I think it's gonna be felt quite strongly. So- Yeah, um, I, you, you're, you're far more in tune with the the oil space than than i am um to speak about it like i i think that the anything that's going to potentially produce a inflationary return that's protective of inflation like um at the same time deflation can be going down like big time right it can be it can be happening um because that's they're almost like two separate totally separate things to me in the sense that you know all the the growth play action and all of that excess liquidity is like a lot of it been burnt through the system and it's not coming back in the system and people are going and taking their money to other places and they're not trading as much they're going to Disney World and things like that. And so that kind of retail chase of all that Momo stuff has faded to, to an extent. Then you've got the inflationary protection mechanisms that people are bidding into place. Well, I don't believe that's housing because housing is you know, subject to that and, you know, interest rate issue. You you look at like oil just to me is like a natural play. You call it like a hedge, but but, it, it's, it, a hedge. It, but it's real. I mean, we have, and it doesn't seem like much. It's, you know, $3, the national average for gasoline, but that's a six year high. Right. Oh, well, yeah. And, then you high and we don't even, and that's not even with a pipeline down. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, in the geopolitical stuff, I think this excess, I think oil is not an issue of getting a hold of it. I think it's more of the, the like the transmission functions, the ins and outs of the system globally that, uh, you know, we can be glutted on purpose or, or released on purpose so that's to, to manage it. I think as the big players get concerned and these businesses to add another layer to the, to the oil thing, because you talked about this last week, a lot of those oil gas explorers and a lot of the oil gas um, transporters and a lot of the oil and gas, not so much as the large cap, let's say mid cap type plays, they were all in deep trouble last year mm. with the debt and um, they were saved. 
yeah. right? Uh, via, via proxy, the purchasing of HYG and the restructuring yeah. of their bonds under the table. Yeah. And so they were all bailed out. So they, they did not, they did not, when oil went negative, they were salvaged and now they're coming back and now the free cash flow. So, you know, FCF for these things is starting to look pretty good in a, in a world as uh, Jim stated, it, I don't know if he said it on the on the call the, or the one I was listening to with Corey, but you know when you get deflation and liquidity issues, the free cash flow companies become ones that you like because oh, they can actually they can actually look, you know fund themselves. But when you look at gold and silver miners, they're actually able they're they're producing massive amounts of free cash flow right now, as are these oil and gas explorers, which is so paradoxical because typically they're destroying of money right trying to dig stuff out of the ground so they're usually dumpsters for destruction of cash and they're actually producing cash at the same time that they're inflationary protection so they're almost like a value play as you you refer to it all the time like growth to value they're almost like a value trade at the same time that they're an inflation hedge very very bizarre and it's like that's that mechanism within you know with the ins and outs going on in the economy, economic system, that you have this is the setback or the setup, I should say, for those particular stocks, which is wild to even think think about. So I think that's an added factor on the commodity itself is that these businesses were salvaged. They were not. They were just you know weren't allowed to go down at all. So they just rode right through it, and now they're on the backside of that with the pickup of. And the now we have to do the inverse. demand. We have to do the inverse. For example, Virgin Galactic ticker SPCE. Yeah, I, 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 like, I, troll, I trolled that today. I know you did. It was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome tweet. So, uh, um, and it's, it is a symptom of the other side, right? Where this li liquidity is just fueling speculation. And it was funny because on May 11th, they um, they plunged 20% after earnings. And I retweeted, I love this. Um, Evan Lawrence says, how does a company with no revenues Miss earnings? It's a great one. Yeah. And it and, went from $63 to 14. You know, <laughs> it's, it's December. It's the opposite of the, the the physical zombie oil and gas companies. Not all of them are. You know, Exxon yeah. obviously is is not going anywhere. Right. But the right. point is, it's it's literally, we have this balance counterbalance with the stuff that was considered. Distortions. You, you've just massive distortions yeah. because of the transmission mechanism of the liquidity back in, in the in last year. So it went, where did, where did it go? Where it flows is just like the chase. And now they're done with the chase. And now we're going over here to this stuff. And that's just, it could be a separate chase. I could tell you looking at the Exxon charts, looking at the oil and gas explorer charts, look at master limited partnerships, looking at, um, gold and silver stuff. These on a yes. big dress drop back, like a big setback. Oh my gosh. Like these things kick it out of control in the next year or two years. If this stuff kicks in with these price, the price with gold, right? I'm going to be the bear on gold just because yes, I understand it's a calamity hedge and it's also a current, sometimes currency, sometimes inflation hedge, sometimes this, sometimes that. But if, 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 you know, if the stuff was to really hit the fan, Governments could seize both Bitcoin and gold alike. So I look at I look at it more like this. I totally agree with you. Like for what it's worth, I, I fully agree with you. I, I think governments, as long as governments have the guns, like they're going to be able to set the rules. Which but it's they trading did. vehicles. So I think I think I look at gold and like silver. Silver from a like commodities perspective, that it's used in a lot of commodities, especially with like the EV movement as a whole, and it's, that's going to keep going. Um, you got trains. 
electronic turn, you know, um, that kind of stuff is happening there, you know, all over the world. And so I think that's necessary from that standpoint. And gold is a tier one asset related to the banks. And so it is actually a collateral asset in the system as a whole. And it's not talked about a lot, but it is. Well, so, some, some places you know, are now allowing that, you know, to be you know, Ethereum as a collateral asset. It's small, but like gold is like really like, you know, U.S. financial institutions with the FDIC, you know, gold's, a, gold's an asset. Right. So banks hold it. So well, not not small banks, but large, you know, players have a you know set aside holdings. The United States has set aside holdings. So it's still a portion and part and parcel of the actual global economic system. You know, the Bitcoin stuff and all that stuff's outside of that. There it's like a counter system. So, you know, that's it's almost like yeah, both of those you hedge hedge each other. I look at it more from it's still in the system right now, and the system's in shock. The system's in shock on the other side of the shock that it was last year. We were in a deflation shock. Now we're in an inflative shock. Yeah. And the assets are swinging back to, and the liquidity is swinging from one side to the other side. And like that to me is the thing that I'm looking at from just surely a, oh gosh, a transmission right or transmutation so it was here and now it's over here how does that impact the things that are over here now where the liquidity is now it's worried and it's sitting over here now right liquidity was worried sitting over there now it's worried sitting over here and you've got master limited partnerships that are paid 10 percent i always thought those were super interesting for the last 10 years but man they were just dumpsters and then like they're salvaged Right. And now they pay 10 percent and you've got inflation. It's a very fascinating proposition, as well as like major gold miners that are a part of the financial system as it exists today. Now, whether that survives, I don't know. Right. I'm not saying that. I don't know what the new financial system would look like if it didn't, if we re, if we reset this whole thing or whatever. So don't beat me up about that. But like this as it is right now, this is a part of it. And these are the people that dig it out of the ground and they're making money commodities and everything associated with their cost, they can rake up. And then everybody wants to get a hold of something. The, the, the elixir is there for that stuff to get real hot, which could be completely counterintuitive to everything historical because it should do this and it should do that. But at the same time, we're talking about 11 trillion to 12 trillion, whatever it is in the US, that this has distorted all of the functions and moves things around very quickly. Because if you think about just the amount of units that that would entail and then the money multiplier effect of that, if it's just math you're thinking about, that's much larger numbers moving much quicker, right? Because if it's a huge bunch in anything in life that moves swiftly, it's going to have a physics impact to this stuff. And that's how I kind of see this stuff right now. It's like, this is a lot like a huge mass chasing a small amount of things and that's why this stuff i i think this could get really and really out of control especially as like yeah the other countries get involved too that have massive populations like china has a massive population they need x amount of of tangible raw goods hogs corn wheat grain you know all that stuff india's same bucket we we've had farmers going to like zero for years and this is just an elixir for where there's just simply not enough people to produce any of this stuff. And we've got major inflation 
which you need more people to supply it to cut the inflation down, right? So that you get more supply into the system than the demand is there. So I, I'm, 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 def I'm like kind of roundabout way defending your, your long commodities, no matter what play, <laughs> like uh, that you've been kind of going back and forth the last few weeks with, but like, I'm, I'm very much like concerned that there, this is like a huge amount of liquidity chasing a subset of specific things, like almost like a pack of great white sharks and they're just eating through the system. Right. And it's, and this is not dumb money. This is smart money. No, and the, and the monthly, um, you know, commodity charts are just at an inflection point, which is really interesting given kind of the conversation that we have, because this multi-decade low in commodities that you know we've talked about has risen up from the dead, and not just oil from you know literally hundred plus points um, off its negative print back in May of last year, but uh, collectively. So we know, you know, lumber, goodness sakes. Um, Copper, FCX is up 700% since it's March low. So as you just said, the deflation spike triggered a pendulum uh, response of an inflation spike. And um, corn, for example, you know, China has bought more corn this year than in the past 20 years. So there's hoarding going on too in countries. Um, some have started to do the central bank tightening, whether it be raise rates or low, you know, taper. Uh, we haven't obviously done that and all fed heads that came out today i think seven um you know said nope not going to change not going to change they had a script but it's interesting because right now we're at um you know some inf inflection points as it relates to this commodity move which has been very supported the rate of change that you're talking about in interest in yields which i've shown that chart the, the roc right for the 10-year the five-year um, unprecedented type of thing. So the rate of change has been very strong. The inflation expectations, which are the five-year and the 10-year, um, they have been extremely strong and they keep grinding higher. Um, the, you know, the food prices, lumber, real estate, all of that's kind of conspiring, if you will, to support a continued cyclical reflation trade, but we're kind of looking at it as a secular inflation, which could get away from the Fed as not just a community. Now you're saying more than not just a commodity super cycle, but as, as Burry puts it, a German style inflation that yes. will break the economy. And yes. that's the concern. So where, um, besides anecdotally, um, where else have you seen this talk of hyperinflation worry? Because I honestly, I haven't. I mean, I, I can I can see that chart that I showed you, which I thought was really awesome. <laughs> you know, the beginning of it. Um, I can definitely, and I've been, you know, I've been tracking this very closely since last year. Every single dip in the growth value rotation trade, and I just see continued strength, even even when it rotates, you know, into the safety and the defense, whether it's just, it's so strong, it's not going back into the momentum place, right? So not yet, they might have wonderful bounces, but it's not going back in as it, like in other words, all the money that has come into the ARC fund since November, 55% of it is underwater. Oh, that thing's in big trouble. <laughs> So I would like to, I'd like to see how they're going to get out of that. And, and, and the Wall Street they're, Journal they're, just said the arc is flooding. So there is, that's going to feed on the concern and of, of how do you get out of that? Do you buy puts now that it's down 40%? I mean, this is, 
a nasty she, kind of. She, I, I said this morning, baptism in, refer, in reference to Ark, that you know, what do you do when she? What she's doing now, she's selling Apple. Oh my gosh, one third of her right? holdings in Apple have been sold to support her very underwater. I shouldn't say her, but you know, their very underwater um, growth. They're, they're, they're literally Place. taking. You got licked. Right. As a trader, if you've ever traded seriously, you've failed or a couple times, right, where you got licked and you either do two things when that happens. You cut it right and reevaluate and then reset and keep moving and make progress or you do what she's doing and you sell your great stuff to double down on your losers. And she did say it's a wonderful buying opportunity. And, today. and then, and then because she's a platform, she's talking her book, right? So she's doubling down with leverage and in, in size, right? To then talk her book back. It's, Hey, look, either two things happen with what she's doing. It's going to work or it's not. And if it doesn't work, what happens is that means she goes quicker. And it'll go way quicker because now she's totally on the wrong side of the trade in size with leverage, as opposed to having some counterbalance with like an Apple or just a balanced portfolio in general. Meaning to me, like they just are not there. They're, 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 they're zealotry of their faith in their model, which to each their own, it's worked very well for them, is now on the opposite side of the peak in the valley. Like they're on the opposite side of the mountain and they're not readjusting. Like there is significant problems with the names that they were chasing and they got big because those names got chased because of the liquidity coming into those names. If you look at her concentrations, they're all the same ETF, like 70 plus percent of all five of those have the same holdings with Tesla being the predominantly number one holding of all of them, which means that, is it really genomics if it's got Tesla, right? Is it really FinTech if it's got Tesla? Like these are some really, nobody asks these questions on the way up because it's a Momo trade on a Momo trade on a Momo trade with leverage and derivatives. On the backside, everybody's going, wait a second, right? And, and to her defense at the blackjack table, if the cards drop right and she's, triple quadruple down with you know asking the house for more leverage then she could be sitting back in her spot within weeks if she's wrong it's over three times as fast as she took her to get to right here because it's now on leverage so i think they're at that apex moment i posted some charts about it last night where the weeklies on that they don't look good like she's under the vwap on the weekly she's under the pivots on the weekly the volume point of control sitting on top of all those, the liquidity is out the door in size on those funds. She's literally, I think she's on a, on a string here. And if it, if it breaks the wrong way, like those names, she needs a run in those, those Momo names, fuel cell, right? Planeteer. Uh, ETD, yeah. All LTR. those names. Yeah, she owns all those in size and, and they need a run. If they get a run, like, and, and, and look, anything can happen, right? Like anything can happen. If they get a run with the leverage that she's been putting on that you can see in the options market, because she's been I, putting on leverage. I have, I, have a, I have a really just, I don't know, it, 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 you know, fool me once, 
Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Right? No, totally so, agree. Yeah. PL, PLTR, case in point. It's already down from, hold on, let me just like give you an example. Because I like this example really well. So PLTR is, is the love child or poster child of, of many momentum share, chasers. Share that. Can you can we see that? Yeah. What? Oh, okay. The Love. PLTR. Yeah, share that. Yeah. Put that okay. up here. Yeah. All right. So it's 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 the love child or you know poster child of many a chaser, right? So it hit a high of forty five even. Okay. And it hit a low this morning of seventeen. So that isn't you know in a very short period of time. By the way, we're just talking about this year. You can see that, right? Okay, yeah. but the, but but what's so interesting about it is today it reported earnings, and they were blowout momentum kind of earnings. In other words, forty nine percent revenue growth on for its first quarter sounds really good, but its EBITDA is sixty times forward EBITDA, sixty times forward EBITDA. So th th this is where the valuations start to matter in this type of cycle where you have this value growth to value rotation into assets that can be sold into stocks that do have dividends um, into stocks that have actual you know earnings maybe not this type of earnings growth but low book you know value and and otherwise deemed um, you know active management type of plays so this is this to me is a case study of okay now do they really put their money where their mouth is are they really going to buy this now that it is so cheap relatively speaking <laughs> from 45 it had a wonderful one day reversal but are they really going to come in and bring that back up to 45 right that's my, my point yeah no i don't think that you're gonna get a 45 move you just get counter trend moves now right like that's an that's an that well, that's assuming you're saying that's a top there are going to be many who disagree with you it's a great buying opportunity kathy wood said so that, that well, my point is it's going to be proven now yeah that, that's what i mean like you know when you look at this from a market structure standpoint just like hey this is an auction right it markets an auction and it's been distorted via liquidity but still an auction right we'd say oh that's a huge move in a, in a year that's literally like what you used to see in crash moves in like 1987 they were like oh that's the 87 move that no that's march to <laughs> may and pound here right so you know the distortions taken yep. into account as some measure of ratio here like this is uh let's just look at it as if it was not like this large in numbers and you're just looking at the auction that auction has to get back up above a certain threshold or that thing's headed lower because the the sell side already showed you what they thought of it at anything above 30 bucks really right so you know that thing's going from 16 to 30 that's a hundred percent move she knows that right and so she's betting right that she can throw leverage onto that and and tag and time that 16 to 30 would be my guess is the strategy that they're deploying right here and to try and get, and that cuts her break even from what, 50, 45 to 30, 35, mm -hmm. right? If, or if she throws on mass leverage, she can make a move back from 16 to 25. You know, and I don't know if they, yeah, I've never really looked at the ARC stuff that much. I'm just looking at it from a, uh, like what leverage they take and the, and the options, like trades they take and like so forth. I can see some of that stuff floating around. But to me, like it really is like a strategic, that's a, that's a total, that's a total gambler's move. Like that's a gambler's move. That's not, that's not even a trader's move. Trader's move would be to short yourself more than likely, right? Like she would have shorted herself 
I asked that question. How, how, how do they hedge that? Um, I'm shorting myself on those holdings and I would have, I would have collared and hedged those holdings there at the top. If that was, if that was my job, right? Like I, I wouldn't have like sold my best stuff to buy my, it's like, uh, that, that, that's like not, I don't understand that in any way, shape or form. I don't, I just don't understand the strategy at all, but that's, what's happening right here. So if they get the bounce with the leverage of, it doesn't have to get back in a bullish trend. It just needs to get the counter trend, you know, sharp bounce, the V bounce that they're looking for so they can pick up that leverage move. If they get that, she might be able to, to sustain. But I think the outflows to her are scarier than the actual maybe trading performance or not. If you look at the flows on my side of the stuff that I posted last night, they're, they're just debacles. Like, I mean, like peak to now way other end of the spectrum. And even like if flows are net negative, so, and I'm talking security flows, like the actual underlying ETF flows of, of volume, the velocity of transactions and the dollars coming in, that's coming out and it's coming out fast. And so that, and it all times back to when Wang blew up, right? And it, since then the flows have gone out the door on that deal. And so she doesn't have the incoming flows. So no matter if she does perform, ETFs got to have flows coming in. But it's right? also Tesla that's so heavily weighted and Bitcoin or the Bitcoin well, Trust GBTC, which is so heavily weighted. And they have been bleeding lower since December. So she, they haven't, um, you know, they're, they're not destroyed. They've obviously no, reset. It, Tesla does look like it could get destroyed, though. It's got to look. <laughs> it's good. They, they all have the what, what the dude calls the boot what Jen calls the boot, like it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it looks like a shoe, right? It comes straight down like the tongue and then rolled over like this. And it looks like a boot and the boot, <laughs> boot gives you a good kick in the ass. So like the boot, boot looks like it's about, I mean, they all look like boots, like on the backside of a parabola. And so the parabola breaks market structure corrects real quickly and it finds a first level floor and then it bounces and it's bounced and then it rolls over because it just nobody wants it anymore. And the parabola is broken. And now you're chasing back down to the bottom of the parabola. And that's All right, pretty- so we have, to, we have to talk about that because this is interesting. Um, today, I actually saw this and tweeted it. Speaking of your great quote when we did that- um, Trap longs, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, lumber is down, right? And so I, I took this because I've been waiting for a particular uh, price in lumbers in lumber to hit tag and then pu pull down which would be risk off long yep. story short it's 1575 in the futures and that's been my line for a long time so now we today stinson by the way i know it looks like paul bunyan but um he's really he's the lumber guy <laughs> that i follow and he says lumber is down massive pool of offers trying to sell july but can't do to limit triggers they're stuck Oof. Meanwhile, no sawmills in Canada have offered any wood for sale yesterday or today, sold out. Hard to see May futures not hold its value while speculators panic in July. So you can see this, you know, this thread. Um, by the way, he, there are a few in lumber that really just, they, they have strong, strong, strong reasons for following them because I think lumber is a symptom, right, of this, this parabola equal trap longs 
um, which equals liquidation risk. And so anyway, for me, 1575 is, um, is a short, but it front ran with yields early. So this has been in play for a while. And by the way, the mean before lumber, you know, went into parabolic um, chasing with housing prices and Bitcoin and a whole bunch of other things, um, its mean was like $260. <laughs> so it is, it is far from its, 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 its mean. And oh, that's always, oh that's God, always yeah. a reversion trade, but it doesn't mean it's not gonna create a new mean. In other words, now it's new normal, quote unquote, mm -hmm. you know, will be probably in the 650 range. So that's probably, it's probably not gonna fall below 650 for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that, especially with what we're dealing with overall. And right? we have the same kind of thing happening across, I think sugar is just starting, um, you know, on a monthly chart, corn is already, you know, just, you know, soybeans, et cetera, et cetera. So we definitely have um, a lot of commodities that have um, been not only bid up, but they're, they're still in physical hoarding mode by some countries, India, China, um, the shipping, the bulk rate shipping rates have doubled. And, you know, there, it, there's a reason <laughs> that we have inflation yes. in input prices. But most think this is going to be just transitory. And I don't mean just the Fed. There are lots of analysts that say supply will become you know, unburdened again. They'll build new chip manufacturing and chip man machines and we will have equilibrium again. But in the meantime, it's, it's the, the forget Fed reaction function, the hedging activity and the consumer behavior is driving a lot of this inflationary pricing and it's, you know, except for the parabolas, which obviously break at, and then they have to revert, no question. Um, we are doing a lot of front running of CPI and inflation and deleveraging at the same time where historically long momentum, right, is that bond proxy trade. Now bond, bonds smell inflation. They have been selling off. They're a good solid 22% lower from the highs and they don't look bid at all. So I think this is a continued... Um, growth to value rotation trade, but the value pockets change a little bit. In other words, we had a, a nice bid in XAR, which is aerospace with like the Northrop Grumman and Grumman and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff and Staples and oil and gas. They're staying bid, transportation, for example. Um, they're staying bid and tech is still taking it on the chin. So we might have some counter trend bounces in, in tech, which are very fun, you know, technically yeah. speaking to trade but it doesn't feel the same as this massive run up from you know prior years it feels very yeah, very it. much yeah. like a regime change very much so and you got negative gamma now on everything um on on most of this that you're looking at everything's negative gamma versus it was so positive rich gamma for the last 12 months um which has changed as of uh, really as of the beginning of may i i would i would what, what I was going to say is that uh, I think my last thought on the inflation piece is uh, like most things that go really bad in life, it's slowly and then it's all at once. Mm. And you go to a restaurant right now and we've noticed this and Laura and I have noticed this um, last two, last, really last four weeks and um, the meals are significantly smaller. 
and there's not a lot of people there working, but that's a separate issue than the commodity itself being about half the size. And, you know, let's call it like from, from anywhere from a, a, a moderately expensive place to an expensive place, and even to like your fast food chains, there has to be a cut somewhere. And so it chips away, it chips away, it chips away until everyone knows what everyone knows, which is, oh my God, we have a real problem, right? And that's when you got everybody in the world chasing the same raw goods at the same time with an unlimited supply of liquidity that's been created, which has not been the case at any time that we've previously entered into one of these equilibrium imbalances, which is what really concerns me about the whole thing is that that the X factor that is being totally discounted, which I just can't wrap my head around why economists and so forth are discounting on the equilibrium conversation, the quantity of fiscal dollars put directly into the, into the ecosystem. It's not like anything's ever been seen before. And that directly went into supply and the, the, the acquisition of goods, raw goods. And it was an overreaction of epic proportion, which isn't going to just equilibrium out. I would argue that it creates all new equilibrium levels, all new structures that if it's not sorted through, it can just restructure everything because it's not going to just self-resolve because you destroyed equilibrium with the quantity that you threw into the system that wasn't from the system. So if you throw, if, if a system is functioning with 15 trillion, for example, and you throw in five more, it could be argued that in a short period of time that will find some sort of natural equilibrium where it will find five more trillion in value, right? To create, so to speak. Well, what if you throw 35 on it and it went from 15 to what's that 50? How does the same equilibrium structure work for that? How do the same rules work for that? Well, that excess is going to go somewhere, right? And cause things to occur. And that excess is just not accounted for as if we lost that much GDP, which I just, I, I would argue it just didn't happen. It happened in some countries. It did not happen in the United States because the companies that were responsible for that output were salvaged and then people were remunerated. So the GDP really didn't, and you've stated this the last couple weeks about that a lot of the growth has been in direct payments of the savings rate, right? That's just coming directly from the government into the bank, right? So the people and into the bank, that distortion of that 35 trillion as an example, and that's a made up number, right? is that that really gives you an idea of what I'm referring to. It was 15, you add five, which is what we've done in previous crises. We'd go down three, add six, overdo it. Then it would chase back up to itself, create a new asset kind of inflation. We threw about six times as much as we actually needed at it. And now that's that's roaming free. And it's it's like, you know, and I don't have all the answers, but I could tell you, I'm not so convinced that there will be equilibrium. I think there'll be new normals. And whatever those are, are going to be wonky for a little while, trying to sort through. And it's like your lumber number. Lumber's 200, now lumber's seven, right? And that then all you knew your levels go from seven and on. Like, well, then how does the 
the the construction complex who's riding high right now readjust as demand diminishes costs go higher right and everything starts getting and and the and the demand really starts to diminish as deflation sets in in other areas where you know it's a i i think the impulse is that the government just fixes everything well they just they, they did that here with the fiscal but you can't throw more fiscal here you can't they can but they can't because it's way too much already and you well can't what's way too much it's already 20 percent of gdp you know it, it, yeah it's at it's, least <laughs> so, so the, 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 i think the, it's more this, actually <laughs> this goes to the far side then you go what can what can the fed do without sacrificing the pensions with the interest rates they're gone the minute that they raise rates and and really tell like they can't do a volcker move which it would take to stoke this immediately it would stoke it but they can't so what is the response now which is the last and that's the last thing i'll bring to bring back to, by the way to, they also tried price controls during the 70s that w backfired huge doesn't doesn't work yeah. that doesn't yeah. work it's not it's it's a it's a it's an ecosystems are like are just economic ecosystems function just like an ecosystem like a rainforest there's inputs there's outputs and the levers that they function with for for messing with interest rates are to try and mechanize that to a degree but when they threw the fiscal in there with the mechanized interest rates inputs, it, it got all wonky. And so the ecosystem is jacked up, just like it is when you put too much sun and, and not enough rain, like you end up with a desert, too much rain and not enough sun, you end up with a different kind of thing. And so, you know, that's what I think we're dealing with, which is what Griffin was saying. It's like, it's unknown unknowns as to relates to the over response, over the overstimulant response that was just significantly more than was ever necessary. And it's it's not just kill the dollar. I think we're talking more like something else, like that is an ecosystem alterer. And I call it a life altering event, like back in COVID, like LAE, um, like COVID wasn't a life altering event. The stimulus was, I missed that. The stimulus was a life altering event. It has simply reshaped the way that we're dealing with a lot of things that are going on and i hope that there's equilibrium and we just bring all of our productivity up to that level of the stimulus that's been created all we're seeing right now is prices are moving to higher levels not productivity not economic output not even ingenuity like innovations moving fast but towards ai and and automation like i to give you an example like this is a prime example from crunchbase this week Restaurants are having a hard time filling jobs. Liquidity is abundant in the venture world. Automation and uh, automation inside the restaurant complex to replace jobs has seen more investment in the last 45 days than in the last five years. The response is not what you think. With excess liquidity, people don't want to work. Okay, then the jobs won't come back. They're going to be automated right out because innovation comes in. There's a lot of like moving dynamics to this that that it's 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 hyperinflation. That then, like you know, the, the conglomerates will always have the moves to play the cards with this because they've got the excess liquidity and they were salvaged through the period. It's the, the other side of it that I, I just don't know how this price stuff shakes out. Like well, you know, you can you can't sustain like the the previous building infrastructure 
right? You're gonna, you, you can't sustain that with a $700 lumber price without raising prices at a permanent high plateau of let's say a price median house price was 350. Now the house prices are 850. Okay, so how does that work, right? When wages don't go up, well, we're gonna make wages go up. Well, okay, then that you're gonna get more of that automation, right? Because the 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 businesses are just simply not. I'm not gonna do that. So I just want higher. I'll just replace, and that means better. That means better productivity for the output, better returns. Then what happens to all those people? The do we just keep doing fiscal? in the form of universal basic income. And that's, I think that's what we're, that's really what we're standing. I'm, I'm going on a tangent again, like I did last No, I'm, I'm, I'm grabbing something because um, I think it's worth note, just two things that, you know, it, that come to mind, first of all, um, this Charlie McGilligan, which was, yeah, um, yeah Nomura. just yeah. Nomura, brilliant. And since last summer, I've been on this, you know, track that we have a macro regime shift from duration to reflation. Okay, so just Tuesday, he wrote, now it may be approaching escape velocity. Oh, and, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And this is brand spanking new, right? So I just saw this, um, we get our PPI numbers on Thursday, and they're lagging anyway, right? CPI is for last month. So we probably it's still gonna run hot for May, we'll get it in June, etc. But one of the points was, you know, China, where PPI jumped to the highest since October 2017 on base effects and higher commodity prices. Um, this is this is this is what we're looking at potentially here as well. So it, escape velocity is one way of writing it. Another is when I did my, you know, piece we talked about in March, right? When I said there's a pivot potentially to oil. And obviously we've been digesting for several months after a $100 run in crude off the negative print. But I said at some point this momentum driven bond bubble will be unwound. This is before we had the, the drawdown um, in bonds, but I'm just saying this was something I had written. Granted, it's fully like a fully local lo locomotive, needs miles of track, but um, it's, it's going to plan perfectly when, in other words, I got to back up. It's in fact higher equities that triggers the selling of bonds that causes the next market correction. It's going to plan perfectly when bonds roll over, structurally forcing rates to pop. We've already had that. Then oil spikes with the reflation trade, think inflation spike, and we're in that right now. While momentum stocks are sold off because they're overvalued relative to value and cause indices to correct. So I think this is a liquidity you know, that is challenged in a bond sell-off and then volatility in the bond market spills over into equities. So that's a little bit of what I'm, you know, always tracking is is when that rotation emerges. And right now we had a solid, you know, bond sell-off with stocks. That's the risk parity that is offsides. And that's, that, that's, that's dangerous to risk equities. And yep. now with this parabola in lumber, for example, correcting hard potentially that's also risk off relative to gold and you yep. are saying the same thing you're seeing in your flow material um, materialize energy right and gold and silver again right coming back in um so this still is reflation i i just it's safer safety pays right now or defense pays yeah totally agree and like you look at volatility this morning it spiked right like right out the gate um you know and the etn spiked and you know gold and silver got hit a little bit but then they were bid strong close so it was oil you know a lot of the commodities it's 
I think this is just uh, to to trade each each channel independently um, because liquidity, this much excess liquidity is gonna, like you said, pays to be safe and and being safe is gonna be pretty pretty savvy, right? It's not gonna be historical. It's gonna be being pretty savvy. Like you're gonna have to be pretty agile and pretty savvy. Yeah, I think going forward for sure. Well, let's watch what happens with the oil pipeline for sure and continued. Um, price pressures, if you will, um, not just in commodities, but also in bond land, because we really, uh, there's there's not an expectation that they're going to fall apart. But right, you know, if they smell inflation and, and yields get a solid trigger higher, um, that's going to bring more volatility into equities, even though it's typically inverse, right? right. <laughs> I don't, it, right. Won't, it won't be that time. Yep. So, and, and, I don't know what else to say. It, it's just, um, it, for me, it's early innings to say hyperinflationary, but I definitely, I see the point. Um, I'm not sure when that would be confirmed. Um, you know, cyclical to secular, inflationary to hyperinflationary, but I see the point. And that, that particular chart for the 1971, I thought was really the best example of where we potentially could be. And speaking of where we could be, um, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up to Katie Stockton on Thursday. She's going to be in, and she is technical analyst to uh, many an institution. So I want to find out what her big picture inflation read is. We got um, Jem Carson last week saying definitely sees inflation continuing. Um, so there are a lot in this camp. Lots of notes keep coming out, like the Nomura one that I just saw before we came on. Uh, saying this could go into escape velocity mode. So I think there's lots here. Uh, yeah, to and keep the question about. on your chart there is are you at that first marker mm -hmm. or is that fractal further down to the right at the second almost breakout marker, right? We don't know, but like I think I think realistically escape velocity is very, very real. And then the, the flip kind of on it where it does the thing is counterintuitive where it, it incinerates equities exercises volatility and then you get the commodities running hot which is a headwind to the to the economy and all that growth that is you know being fueled right now by stimulus if they don't have any money you know anywhere any gas to put in their car it doesn't matter <laughs> this, this is a great way to close it out and then you have all that liquidity that was thrown into the system looking at that formula unfold where the no. commodities get turbocharged and the equities are getting crushed and volatility is spiking, there will be a reaction to where liquidity flows in that moment, which is what creates terminal velocity in every and every and, and we keep getting confirmation of that. The Glencore CEO said we need copper prices to rise 50% to even meet demand or some I mean it was like th there is no lack of confirmation in corporate you know, uh, executive suites that prices are going higher. Yeah. So um, we'll keep talking about it. But uh, we'll thank you so much. For, yeah, thank you so much for joining. And again, this will be on my my YouTube channel, Leduc Trading. It will also be on a podcast uploaded. So check it out. Apple will have it. Spotify, Audible, the usual suspects. Um, very grateful for your time, Jonathan, and everyone who attended. So we'll do it again next Tuesday. But first, we've got, um, like I said, Thursday, uh, Katie Stockton comes in and we'll uh, we'll get a, her read as well. So again, thanks so much for attending. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.